The Money Show. Shapeshifters. I'm going to give you a quick rundown of the CV of tonight's shapeshifter because Kun Yonka has had a varied career. That's, I suppose that's the uh, best way of putting it. He joined ENS as it was in those days Edward Nathan, corporate law advisors. He's a lawyer by training, you see, in 1996. And by 2000, he was CEO. He then joined the Ned Bank, uh, Ned Core Investment Bank Executive Committee, and then he joined Standard Bank after that. And by 2011, he'd gone to Deloitte as a partner and in the strategy and innovation practice and by 2012 had led the formation of something called Time and it was spun out of Deloitte as a new venture. Did you leave Deloitte at that point, Kun, um, and and go to Time full-time? That's right. Uh, me and my uh, co-founder, Chart van der Balk, um, uh, spun the business out with a team of 17 people and that was the first iteration of Time. And time, what was time in its Deloitte iteration, that first iteration? What what did it look like? It was really a B2B uh, fintech. Uh, we didn't have those words back then. But what we did is provide banking as a service to um, uh, mobile operators, retailers. Our first partners were MTN and Pick and Pay. And we essentially sort of built, designed and deployed banking products for them uh, into their platforms. Uh, and we were then, uh, in 2015, we, the whole business was purchased by Commonwealth Bank of Australia that uh, set us on an adventure to do what we wanted to do from the start, which was to build a proper end-to-end digital bank. How did you connect with Commonwealth Bank of Australia, of all banks in the world? How did they find you? <laughs> uh, Bruce, interestingly, uh, we weren't looking for uh, to be acquired at the time, um, but they were doing a piece of research internationally on the different um, sort of digital banking models, and they came across our model, and they phoned us, they cold, they cold called us. They phoned us up out of the blue and said, oh, would you be interested to do a deal and bring your technology to Asia? And so that got you moved to Hong Kong, and you were based in Hong Kong for a while. And then not too long after that, it all kind of looked like it was going to fall apart and time was going to end up um, in a lot of trouble because it lost its key backer in the Commonwealth Bank of Australia. There was a big banking scandal in Australia. There was a big inquiry into corruption within the banking system. And uh, suddenly banks like Commonwealth Bank of Australia were told, you can't own assets. I think it was outside of South Africa, uh, outside of Australia. Australia or digital assets or whatever the reason was, but they had to sell you. And it was a fire sale almost at that stage, wasn't it? Yeah, that's that's quite right. In, in fact, it wasn't uh, – uh, there was a Royal Commission of Inquiry into banking. I was actually at the time on the Group Exco of Commonwealth Bank of Australia, and it was a decision made by the board to actually pull back from oh, all okay. emerging markets. They sold – everything in emerging markets but uh, two small assets. And uh, um, and this, as you quite rightly say, um, Time Bank was literally within weeks of being switched on um, uh, and launching a bank in South Africa, and suddenly CBA t- I had, to, had to exit. And that then brought African Rainbow Capital into the mix, and uh, Patrice Motsepe came in and bought well, the, the Johans, Johan van Sale and Johan van der Marwe, who run African Rainbow Capital, uh, oh. leapt on an opportunity, and they took up 90%, if memory serves again, of, of the time business from Commonwealth Bank of Australia. Was that a deal done quickly? 
Yes, it was a deal done quickly. Um, we sort of, from the first time we started conversations to closing the deal was less than three months. Um, so uh, uh, we as the management team uh, made the call to essentially bring them in as our partners. As you know, building a bank takes a lot of money. Uh, we uh, we ended up with about 10%. We now have about 8% in the business. And, uh, and ARC is still the controlling shareholder at just above 50%. Because there have been various releases of equity and capital raisings over the last 12 months or so, including a really exciting new opera, uh, opportunity for you and realizing that dream that you had 10 years ago, finally, uh, of beginning to globalize this business of Time Bank. Because it's about a lot more than the little yellow boxes that we see in pick and pay stores. Uh, yes, uh, Bruce, that's right. We um, we were very lucky to get a few... Um, uh, international investors, uh, Tencent from China, uh, the old CDC, which is now British International Investment, BBI, BII, and, uh, and APIS Partners, uh, a fintech investor from London, to get them on board in our Series B raise. That's enabled, enabled us to uh, take Time Bank to the Philippines. We got a banking license there. And this coming week, we're switching on the bank, and hopefully, if all goes well, we'll be launching, doing a big above-the-line launch uh, of what will be known as GoTime Bank in the Philippines in partnership with one of the leading family conglomerates there, uh, the JG Summit Group. I realize that uh, Pick and Pay is a an independent listed company and it was controlled by the Ackermans through a Pickwick structure and all of that sort of stuff. But it feels like you've done kind of a similar deal in the Philippines with a family if the if Pick and Pay isn't too much of a family business. But, um, you know, you, you seem to quite like those sorts of arrangements. Yes. You know, I think what we what we've uh, realized through years of of engaging with sort of um, in, in, in emerging markets and particularly with underserved customer segments is that retailers um, hold a lot of credibility with customers and they actually provide some really unique opportunities to bring cost-effective solutions right to where customers are used to doing business shopping and so on. So, so we really like retailers as customers, the, as, as partners. Uh, and uh, you might be aware, but we've just also done a deal with uh, TFG. Yeah. Um, and we just switched on our first kiosks inside TFG. So we're now in uh, pick and pay. We're in Boxer. And uh, by October, we'll be in about 600 uh, TFG stores, uh, different TFG brands across the country. And that's your primary acquisition mode, isn't it, for customers? You've got 5 million customers at last count. The growth trajectory is astonishing. Um, and are those then mostly pick-and-pay boxer clients? And then could we expect the insp- you know, there will be crossover with uh, TFG clients? But can we see exponential further growth in South Africa? And then, of course, should all things be equal in the Philippines, which, again, I think is ripe for a bit of banking disruption, we should see some exponential growth there as well. Bruce, that's the plan. I, I think, uh, you know, um, we about 80% of our customers have come to us through pick and pay in boxes stores. Sure. We also have about 20% of our customers who come to us directly online by downloading our app or, uh, you know, um, uh, onboarding on our web, um, on our web uh, uh, service. Um, and we expect that we will, in the next, uh, uh, you know, few months, we will actually accelerate our growth pace. 
uh, in South Africa, and hopefully we can uh, we can repeat that uh, feat in the Philippines. Where are all these customers coming from? Is what I will ask Kun Yonker in a moment. Uh, Kun Yonker is the co-founder of a Time Bank. A quick lickety split history lesson on the origins of Time Bank. Next bits and where they go to next. The Money Show. Shapeshifters. Generally, retail banks require that in order to become profitable, that you bank with them, that you deposit your salary with them, that you then buy products from them, that you buy uh, car loans from them and mortgages, and they are able to charge you at every step of the process. And for every transaction that you partake in, there's a charge. And for going into the branch and transacting over the counter, there's a charge, 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 charge. Um, My sense of it, Gordon, is that you don't have that operating model. I wonder how it is that you do make money. Um, Bruce, it's all about efficiency, dogged automation, uh, and driving driving a very low operating cost base. So we, you know, we now three years in, we know we understand our operating uh, model and our unit economics very well. And if we onboard a customer that is a um, COVID grant recipient, so somebody who only gets a three hundred and fifty rand grant from government. That is a profitable customer for us in, sp- in, in spite of the fact that we won't sell them anything else. And we have a payback on that customer of somewhere between five and eight months. And the only way we can do that is that we have to run a very efficient business uh, compared to our competitors. Uh, you know, we only employ um, uh, 350 people directly in the bank. We employ about a thousand ambassadors out there. We will by the time uh, TFG is fully employ, uh, deployed, um, and that all in is less than uh, a tenth of the number of customers uh, of, of 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 people that our closest uh, competitors uh, uh, employ. So you, through technology, are able to service five million customers with three hundred and fifty permanent staff and the thousand ambassadors who are kind of customer acquisition people within the branches and helping people sign up. And if people are struggling with the machines, um, can can assist them, I suppose, in that process. It's an astonishing return on on the number of people that you appoint, but the technology underpinning the business of Time Bank. Uh, is it all sort of uh, proprietary technology? Have you spent many, many billions of rand on developing this tech? Uh, we have spent a lot of money on developing the tech. There's, that's actually the biggest investment that we make, bigger than, uh, for instance, our people investment, which for most bank would be their biggest investment would be salaries. But we don't build everything ourselves. We believe that whatever is commoditized, whatever is out there and somebody's already doing at scale, you rent that piece of the technology. Um, so our, we don't have any of our own hardware. We run on AWS, so the entire bank is built on, on the cloud. Um, our core banking system is done by, by a, by a uh, supplier and so on. Where we focus all our energy, and we've got about 300 engineers and developers uh, employed in Ho Chi Minh City um, in uh, Vietnam that forms the core of, of, of our development team, where we focus all our effort is in the integration and the front-end experience development for customers. Why Vietnam? I mean, is, is, is there a particularly strong tech hub there? Is there a particularly skilled workforce there? Why that outsourcing to, uh, to that part of the world? Uh, it, it's that. So um, it is um, 
at the deepest talent pool in front-end um, development uh, and engineering in the world at the best price. Um, so we get, we get really, you know, their universities for years have been great at this. And we just get fantastic people, uh, creative, hardworking, uh, interesting people, and people who are interested in contributing to the world. So we, 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 we're very lucky in a sense that we've, you know, I think we've struck it, struck it very well in Vietnam. And today we are in the top five most popular tech employers in Vietnam. And that's competing with brands like uh, Gojek and Grab and others who also have their development hubs there. And then Philippines, uh, you explained that you're going to start Go Time Bank possibly this week in partnership with one of the most successful retail families in the Philippines. Is this the first sort of experiment in how this model goes down in a fundamentally different society to one like South Africa? Uh, yes, we we have experimented with our uh, idea when we were owned by Commonwealth Bank of Australia. So we've done a deployment in Indonesia. We've actually also done one in, in New Zealand. But this is the first one we're doing for our own account. And um, and interestingly, um, the Philippines is a very similar market to South Africa in many respects, um, uh, with uh, except of course that it's double the size population wise and is growing at a healthy last time I looked around 5% a year. Um, any more countries on your radar? I don't expect me to, uh, expect you to tell me where you're going, but I mean, do you have very active and aggressive expansion plans looking at markets similar to South Africa, similar to the Philippines? Yeah, uh, Bruce, you know, we can't be too aggressive because building a bank is a complex job and we have to pace ourselves very well well so it's very much sort of at this point a sequential job sort of one country at the time uh, but uh, yeah i can tell you we 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 have applied for a banking license in pakistan and uh, we're about 20 applicants uh, for five licenses uh, digital banking licenses there and so we're expecting to hear whether we're one of the five uh, winners of a license there in uh, in the next three or four months do you see yourself as domiciled in South Africa in perpetuity? I mean, yes, uh, African Rainbow Capital is your controlling shareholder for now, but you've not tried to diversify on shareholdings. You've done Hong Kong in the past. Many, many com- uh, companies are domiciling themselves in Asia. Big growth markets and, and opportunities. Your tech is in Vietnam. Your clients increasingly look as if they are Asian. Um, are you an Asian business or an African business in the future, do you think? Uh, Bruce, absolutely both. Um, you know, I think in South Africa, one of the things that, uh, you know, we try, we remind people of is that we, the only black owned and control, controlled, um, um, uh, commercial bank in the country, uh, right now. And we would like to keep that as long as possible. So, so I think Time Bank very much will be South African. Um, uh, the Time Group, though, is actually headquartered in Singapore, and uh, we we think Singapore in the future will uh, be at least one of the top five fintech hubs in the world, if not one of the top three fintech hubs in the world. So I think for the broader group, uh, we see very much we see Singapore as our home. Now, well, Karoo has relocated there, and uh, the Oppenheimers have set up an office there, and I think the, the Dyson guy, the vacuum cleaner guy, he's done lots of other things too, has set up an office in Singapore. Some of the you know, the world's smartest and brightest people are setting up a um, base in Singapore. They're certainly getting something right out of what not long ago was a muddy old island. Thank you so much, uh, Kun Yonka, for joining us this evening, co-founder and chief executive at Time.